Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, I'm looking at our clock here. We've already talked for 15 minutes, and we are just now 15 seconds from this recording. Good start to our Q&A mailbag. Yeah, we're on a roll. We're doing our usual thing, uh, shooting the you-know-what before we get on the pod and talking about things, and Already great stories uh, being discussed, and hopefully we can share at least a couple of them uh, on air publicly. Can we put it out there? Maybe. Let's see how this goes. Wait, something I forgot to tell you. Sorry, hold on. But Something I forgot to tell you before in our little session, pre-podcast session here. I got a call from down in Atlanta the other day saying, hey, Heard you and that Mike guy on that podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I need some more information on this. Somebody had pulled up our podcast from right after the bowl game, talking about Tyke Smith, and it's now making its rounds in Atlanta, and we are considered the foremost authority on the sneaky scoop behind Tyke Smith's departure, apparently. Well- well, that's good because we were considered like persona non grata in the hours and days that followed that, too. <laughs> yeah. Quite the opposite. Um, and I think what people will probably remember more for that podcast is we hung up hastily because we had to go chase down the Oscar Sheebway story. Right. But the, the nonsense that I got in the days after that was like wildly speculating about Tyke Smith. And I was just going, we'll see. We'll see. And you know, How can you say that this is going to be an offseason story? I don't know. He was tweeting in the second half of a bowl game that he didn't start because he wasn't with the team for a week. That's kind of an interesting deal to me. And and wow. Broken clock, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm glad that uh, our audio lives in, in archive form like that, too, for people. But uh, I completely forgot that we basically ended that podcast on a cliffhanger of, oh, crap, I just got this text. We got to go. And, and and we were chasing something down. I, I forgot about that part. Well, it was New Year's Eve. Something had to happen to completely ruin our... <laughs> Yeah. I will deal with them with the new. That that's kind of tradition as well, right? But yeah, that was that was what happened. That like I think a lot of people were most unnerved about the Sheboy thing is that that had been kind of rumbling for a while. The Smith thing, you just kind of figured, all right, that was a guy, a good kid who had a bad day. Yeah, it did, but that was also, frankly, the beginning of the end there. And, and then we saw the end actually come with the mutual separation agreement. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. We have yeah. a chapter for that. But yeah, glad to know. Um, Shifting gears back to basketball, that does have us busy again here. We'll get into player acquisitions and maybe, again, the future players that I just don't think we know about or are going to know about at least three of them for some time. The fourth one, we'll probably talk about Derek Colbert here in a second, but might have a staff shakeup, Chris. Yeah, and I think for a while here, people have been calling for it, not you know, saying in particular that somebody was bad, that somebody was not doing their job. But, hey, this group's been together for a long time, and sometimes that can get stale. Uh, shake it up, shake it up. And it might get shaken up whether West Virginia wants to or not. Um, it could be a big move with, if, if Eric Martin, what we're talking about here is Eric Martin being linked to the open Cincinnati job. What do you think about that move? I think that it would be hard for people to believe that he would get a – I mean, that's that's darn near a Power 5 job. That's a major conference and a major program. I think people might be surprised to find that he's the third third assistant, right? Larry's number one, and you could probably – maybe there's two and 2A with um, Harrison being one and Everhart and Martin being 2-3. Um, there's some hierarchy there, but it's after Harrison, obviously. He's their chief assistant. I think you'd be surprised to find out that Eric Martin's getting a, a major job, but he's so connected to Cincinnati, and that is the situation that – might call for someone that is an alum and does have a history there. And it fits in a lot of ways too. what happened at Cincinnati the past couple of years is kind of a crazy story. They went out and hired like a guy from, from Northern Kentucky, John Brandon, who looked like he was going to be an up and coming coach. I'm, I'm not kidding here. If you had asked him to put together like one of the lists for Huggins replacements years from now, years ago, he would have been up there. He had connections and, and knew what he was doing. And that thing just all went bad in a hurry. And that situation now was where to get it back and to welcome people back into the program who maybe were boarded off when everything changed. You know, that's that's a guy that you would think about, Eric Martin I'm speaking about, because has the he just has the resume and has the legacy that works there. I think people may be surprised by it. Maybe he doesn't get another look like this if it's not Cincinnati, but that's not his fault. It all lines up for him uh, to make it work. And 
from what I understand, there are there's a lot of people working in, on his behalf to make this happen. Can he get the staff? Can he guarantee like engagement from donors and excitement from the fan base? I think so. Can he get the staff? We'll see. He's never had to hire a staff before. He's never been a head coach. Um, again, that's not his fault. It's going to have to start sooner or later. The question is, does Cincinnati right now want to do that? And it's sounding like it's either him or maybe uh, Dennis Gates from Cleveland State. And Eric Martin's probably your leader making the turn, which is kind of an exciting story here. I think I think I think all the things you think, Mike, that's just sad. Mm. But I, I think it's a great hire for. I think it's it would Eric Martin would be crazy not to take it. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. I don't think there's any way he's not taking it if it's offered to him. Um, but I also think it is a good move uh, for Cincinnati for all the reasons you, you talked about right there. I think uh, he would bring some excitement. He would, um, you know, he has the ties to the community. I think people would know him. And people would cheer for him. Everybody, everybody loves it when you know uh, alums come back and 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 coach the program, uh, right up until they lose. But if they win, even better. And you know, I haven't heard anything bad about Eric Martin's coaching. Uh, nothing but good stuff. So I think he could he could go there and can succeed. Can succeed. Um, the the hiring of the staff. That's an interesting point. And that's that's really important in college basketball because you need to have maybe not so much for the coaching side of things, but really for the recruiting side of things, because basketball recruiting is so difficult uh, at the college level. You, you really need to have guys that have connections to different areas, to different, um, different cities, different AAU teams to players. And, and we saw how vitally important that was uh, even for like when Huggins was at Kansas state and he had to hire certain guys that, that got the elite talent to Kansas state for the short time that he was there. So um, that will be something he has to learn like kind of on the fly, but that would be a great hire for Cincinnati. Larry Harrison, Eric Martin, Billy Hahn. That's Bob Huggins first staff. Harrison and Martin are still here. Hahn became the director of operations was replaced by Jared Calhoun. Jared left to be the head coach of Fairmont state was replaced by Everhart. And that's it. That's the entirety of Huggins' assistant coaching staff since arriving for the 2007-2008 season. That is unbelievable in this day and age. And, and sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I this might lead into one of our questions or, or take away one of our questions here without even having to ask it. But if Martin leaves, is he even going to go outside of the current building to find his replacement? Yeah, his, uh, his hiring process will be to get on the intercom and call Josh Eilert to his office. That's pretty much what I think would happen. Eilert's been here since the beginning. Martin and Martin and Josh Eilert were with Huggins at Kansas State. Martin famously uh, like stood in front of Huggins' door when Huggins was leaving Kansas State, basically, and said, I'm not going. You're not leaving without me. You got to take me because he had just, I think he had just arrived. Maybe he was in his first season, second season as even an assistant coach. Um, but obviously, he's tight with Huggins from their playing days together at Cincinnati. Um, he was a player, Huggins was a coach, and is one of Huggins' favorite players. And he was like, Listen, you're not leaving without me. And then here we are so many years later, and Martin's been attached to Huggins uh, through ups and downs, good and bad. Uh, and then I don't want to say for this purpose necessarily Cincinnati, but he knew his time was coming and Huggins would be a great advocate. And gosh, what a better advocacy for Bob Huggins than the Cincinnati head coaching job for Eric Martin. I get that makes perfect sense right now. But he also came from Kansas State with Martin and Josh Eiler. Josh Eiler was a junior college player who ended up at Kansas State and was on the staff, I want to say his video coordinator, made the trip with Huggins, was the video coordinator for a while, eventually became the director of operations. He's been there since Han retired and a really bright guy who knows the junior colleges, knows some of the Big 12 landscape and – I think has some ideas to make stuff work that we're listened to increasingly. He's not a coach. I get that. He can't do anything during games and all that. He's the director of operations, but um, just fits that Huggins boilerplate, so to speak. He would speak the language and know how to do practices, could recruit, and I think Huggins already has an idea of what he knows. Um, I think Isla would have to say no for some reason if this were to go outside the building. Well, sad news that neither you nor I are being hired for that position, Mike. Not even considered. Not even considered. Give me a chance to say no, Bob. 
speak many languages. Good work. Uh, Here's a question. Can you imagine a football staff with the equivalent of continuity that Bob Huggins' basketball staff has? And can you imagine what the fan reaction would be like? Well, we've already seen what the fan reaction is like with this. I think every year, multiple times a year uh, on this very podcast, it's why won't they shake up the coaching staff? This coaching staff is stale. Shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. Um, For it to happen in football, that team better be, you you know, it's unheard of in basketball. It's ludicrous in football. And if you're going to keep a staff together, that staff better be doing, you know, national championship level play every single year for that to be happening in football. And and if it's doing that, then your coaches are gone anyway, because they're going to get hired and promoted at other places. So it's, it's not even plausible to to think that that's going to happen in football. And it's hard to even fathom that it's happening in basketball. Yeah. Basketball is a little bit different because there's not, there's not three sides of the ball, so to speak, like there is in, in football. There's, there's, basketball offense basketball defense i get that but i feel like the head coach is is synonymous with the offense and the defense more than anything else and if you're trying to change things um are you, you're not going out and hiring a coordinator to do it you're probably hiring someone who thinks like you doing and liven things up a little bit i think people forget huggins is a pretty good defensive coach and, and kind of wrote the book literally on the offense that he's running even this year like they went open post and if you go to amazon and you search bob huggins books he wrote the you know, the book on four out five out open post offense which people kind of forget about but he knows about that so maybe you don't need it but i don't know it just feels like things can get stale sometimes so this could be a great ending for everybody too martin gets promoted you get to liven things up a little bit get some new ideas in there and i think huggins would have a hard time firing somebody or getting rid of somebody just because so much time had passed i think if he had to fire somebody because they weren't good they couldn't coach they couldn't recruit um showed up late whatever behavioral stuff he could do it but like if the guy's just doing his job and things aren't going quite as good it's probably really hard for him to do loyalty really matters so this um again if, if this does turn out and, and martin's your next head coach he's got the support of the school he's got great people in his corner backing him up and making promises to support him otherwise to get some assistant coaches that's great and then you find a way to 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 add some new life add some new ideas to that seat down at the end of the bench kind of hard to see how that's bad for anybody here can't can't see it Mike, would it hurt your feelings if I bought Bob Huggins' book before I bought yours? Ooh, that's a good question. Is that our first uh, question today? No, that's not our first question, because I've actually already bought your book, so there you go. Uh, I'll be looking for this, this royalty reimbursement from you at some point on yeah, that one. But... So will I, if my... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <good night, Frank. laughs> um, everything else, I think, for basketball, we can probably get into in our mailbag. Uh, football... Is this a boring spring? It it feels like it. Um, I don't know. I, I think it, it's it's funny. It, it, are you ready for me to to make my pitch of of why the coaches and the programs want and need spring speculative depth charts, Mike? Oh, hit me, please. I need I, this. I'm bored. I, I think that kind of competition. The competition is what fan, the fans want to see. New kids. And they want to see competition they, or they want to know what's happening in the competition at certain positions. And so when you come out and say, I'm not releasing a depth chart, there are no ones and twos. And again, we've gone over this and that's coach speak. There are ones and twos. There is competition. There's a depth chart. It's just not being released publicly. That kind of tempers some of that excitement because a lot of the, there, there's a reason that depth charts go up. There's a reason that we put one up on the site. There's a reason we discuss it all the time. It's because fans want to know. They want to know who's actually going to be on the field. They want to know who's going to start. They want to know who's going to lead the team, what's going to change from last year. And they're kind of not getting that this time around. You know, it's just here's what it is. And, and yes, we've had updates from, from when practice has been open and we've been there and kind of like, hey, here's, you know, they're not saying it's first team, but this is what first team kind of looks like. But I think when – you take away that element that kind of, I mean, I don't think it's completely tempered everything, but it, it, that's something that fans look forward to. That's something that fans get all frothy about wanting to know who's going to win 
battles for the the starting positions at certain spots, and and they're just not going to get that this this spring. I honestly, I think if you if you poured a brown liquid in a cup for Neil Brown and follow that with three or four more, and you guys started to like break it down and speak honestly with him, I think he'd much rather have April twenty fourth be just like the fifteenth practice behind closed doors. Um, in fact. One year they only had fourteen practices, remember? And their fifteenth yeah. practice was like a how to weight train for the winter, or for the for the off season rather. So like that's that's kind of how crazy these these spring practices are. They don't mean everything. Um, and I think frankly the the spring games are just kind of eh, for some people. Players don't even like the spring that much. Never mind the spring game, but it'll be cool to have fans in their uh, quarter capacity again. They they won't get fifteen thousand people. I get that, but um, again, how do you whip up excitement for this when? Again, they just haven't been excited about it so far. And when your big news, when your big like headline arresting development is Devil Washington is a will linebacker now. Listen, no offense to Devil Washington or Will linebackers, but like I think that they've probably kept an appropriate lid on things. Personally, I think they've reined in like projections and enthusiasm based off of spring performances. I think sometimes the answers to questions have been so enthusiastic and so built for audio video clips. And that's that's not a knock on the coaches. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I'd love for coaches to be exciting instead of drab. But I think sometimes that that created expectations that were very difficult to maintain or sustain or live up to. Maybe the right idea now is just to cover the break on all these things, and as they like to say over there, you know, get lost in the process, get lost in the work. And I think they've kind of done a good job, just like spinning people around right now and just making them realize these are just practices right now. They're a long way from their first game. Trouble is, you got that big game at the end of the spring. Got to do something about. It. I don't know how they're going to do that because it's. That's going to be a pretty tame day, I would guess. They're not going to do anything too crazy, too out of control. You're not going to see a lot of Letty Brown. You might not see a lot of Jared Dagey. Um, then again, you probably don't want to see a lot of Will Crowder and Garrett Green because, God forbid, one of those two lights it up, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad. Also good. Um, this has been bantied about it before, but I'm curious your thoughts because I, I think I, – I know the players would love it. I know the fans would love it. I wonder if the coaches would. Um you in spring, and your spring game is not an intra-squad scrimmage, but rather a scrimmage against another university. Like West Virginia plays Pitt. You know, I, I'm, I'm saying Pitt. Of course, everybody would be excited about them playing Pitt. But, you know, any, any kind of team in the region, every each team gets 14 practices. And, hey, let's go four quarters. And each quarter, you, you know, you try to do first string versus first string for a quarter and a half. And then second string versus second string, and so on. Um, do you think coaches would like that idea more so than what they have right now? This is the truth. I talked to Rodriguez about this. It's got to be 15 years ago. I mean, I, I can remember sitting in the old Pushkar Center lunchroom overlooking the end zone. That's how old this was, right? Like mm-hmm. where you had the suites now. That used to be like yeah. the cafeteria. I can remember talking to him about this, about how he thought it was a really good idea. Um, and, you know, hey, that would be one way to get the Marshall thing out of the way. You maybe don't play him every year, but, hey, get him on the field for a Saturday, raise some money for charity, make it a cool thing, you know, do it in do it in Charleston, do it in Morgantown, do it in Huntington, wherever. But, like, that'd be a, a way to do it, even especially in years where you don't play the game. Um, I think that there's a way to do it to make it work. I think that some teams might be more likely to work with, like, I don't know, junior colleges or Division two schools or one double A's in their neighborhood. That's not really a thing for West Virginia. I don't think they want to be playing like West Lib um, on a Saturday in April. That's not going to help. You think they're going to get lit up by Jack Allison? Yes, I do. Have you seen his numbers? Of course. (laughs) Better hope not, right? I really miss Tyke Smith then. But how would you do it then? And then are you working about, are you worried about injuries in the spring? Because just players, I'm telling you, especially linemen, they just kind of get blah about spring football. And then especially that spring game, it's a practice they don't they don't need like it's a full speed thing where not everybody's up to speed and shouldn't be hitting and tackling and all that stuff. I, I wonder what type of risk reward there is there. How many players get hurt or or it's just not a good practice. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of ways to look into it and just the fact that we've been talking about it again for like 15, 16 years and it hasn't happened and it's no closer. It really is no closer. I just don't think that there's a reality too close from here in which that exists. <clears throat> Ah man, it would it would be so fun, and you yep. could really turn it into something. And like you said, for charity, you could have West Virginia playing Pitt, and then you could have a fundraising competition with the WVU Kids Hospital and UPMC up at the hospital up in Pittsburgh, and you're raising for charity, and all which fan base is going to raise the most money? Uh, boom, boom! All of a sudden, you're raising more money than you ever raised before. 
there's more excitement around this game than ever. I mean, no, it, neither fan base gets, I think what the biggest, the biggest uh, crowd for West Virginia spring game was probably like that second year under, under Dana with Gino and all those guys coming back. It was like mm. 18,000. Uh, you could double that at least for a spring game scrimmage between Pitt with Pitt. Um, and at the very least, I would think, and raise a ton of money, get some actual competition at the end of the spring. Um, I mean, I, again, I, I fans would love it. Players would love it because, as you said, players are just blah about things. But if they have something at the end of the tunnel to look forward to, like right now, the the end of their tunnel is, hey, spring football's over. You get a break. And that's their end of the tunnel is you don't have to play football for a while. They, if you could make it um, – hey, you get to play this game against a rival in an actual game, at least for a quarter or two, they'd be a lot more excited about it. And I think uh, it might keep the enthusiasm up among the players, the fans. Again, I think you just have the coaches kind of wondering, do we want to go out and show our scheme? Do we want to go out there and, you know, maybe we end up losing a game. It hurts in recruiting. Or do we care about that? Or somebody gets hurt because they're playing in an actual game in the spring and so on and so forth. So it's... Like you said, maybe it's not any closer, but daggone, that'd be a good idea and would really liven up spring football. Well, let's work on the parameters of what exists and what's possible. Like, I don't think they're going to have a full-blown 53-on-53 kind of game where players are, you know, going like NFL style in the, in the preseason. But what does work in the NFL? You have those split-squad scrimmages. And that's actually just practices. Like, yeah. they just do drills against each other. Could you do something like that? Would people be interested in that? I think you could do that and dress it up and make it. I don't know if it'd be skills. I'm not saying give everybody a flag and you're playing seven on seven or something like that, but that would be a heck of a lot more exciting than watching Pitt's DBs go against West Virginia's receivers and running backs in like a skeleton drill, right? Yeah. Like if you had something that was there, but then what do you do with your offensive lineman and defensive lineman? Are they doing like world's strongest man competitions? Actually, I, like I think it. I kind of like to see that. <laughs> hey, hey, we've got somebody here. Somebody Chris. trademark this real quick. Get on it. <laughs> I think I like this. So, again, please email uh, Chris Anderson at 24-7 Sports. He'll give him the royalties that he's going to then fork over to me for football, my book, that is. Uh, and then don't forget, the light at the end of the tunnel for football players is Mike Joseph, a whistle, and some kettlebells. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's running through that tunnel, man. That's not something they want to jump into. So, yeah, there might be something there at the end that they, they could look forward to. There's a way to make it work. Again, I think you could see split practices, something like that. But does that have to be the end of – the spring, I think coaches would be more interested in seeing that and like practice 9, 10, 11. Hey, how far have we gone? How do we match up against another FBS team? And then what can we do the final, again, three, four, five practices to make sure that we're sharp? We've learned something from splitting our squad against another for a practice. And here's what we have to do to make sure we slam the door in the spring the best. I think that's probably more likely than ever like a full blown game or scrimmage. And again, there, there's some way to do it to make it fan friendly, like we talked about. Seven on seven skill competition, sure. That's just like kibble, Katie Litter for the fans to come in and do it. I'm not sure coaches or players care about that that much. But again, if you're trying to do this and again, recruiting, that would be a cool thing. That would be a scene that you could set up for everybody and it would be unique and it would differentiate your Saturday in the spring from somebody else's first one across the finish line. There may have something, but how do you get there? That's, that's equitable and equal and, and fair with in the rules too. Don't know. There's a way to do it. Chris, right. 24 minutes in, perhaps we should get to some questions. I guess so. I guess so. As always, subscribers, VIP side, ask the questions. Everybody um, on either side of the paywall can listen. What we don't get to, which is probably going to be quite a bit today, Chris will sweep up into a printed format here. There's a couple I know that we're probably not going to get to that I want to get to at some point just to see how Chris answers it. I'll say right now, Derek Deems, 55, is a really good question. I'm not sure we're going to get to in a spoken format, but Chris, I think you can handle that one in a written format. Yeah, that I was gonna say I had that one pinned as one of the ones to discuss, so maybe we will. But um, all right, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, let's uh, let's start with basketball here. Um, I, I I'm curious. The uh, you know th this question is very pointed. It makes me wonder if this person Yidio Ten is is asking for a reason. So I'll just ask you and let you take it from there. What do you make of the fact that Hugs is mostly targeting players in the transfer portal with only one year of eligibility remaining? So the implication here is that this is his final year? I don't know. That's, it, it, as I say, is it, is it this push for one final year? Is this the team or his final year? Or is it his push to 
make a push that, you know, he thinks this is a championship team. If he gets a couple one-year players and that's it, I don't know. I don't think it's either one of those. I think it's the fact that this portal thing is going exactly how I thought it would go. I think that he's looking for guys who can add to the roster rather than replace people on the roster. I think he's looking for people who can plug stuff as exists instead of redesign what's in place. Um, He's very loyal to those players. The reason that he is hesitant to go into the portal or to entertain transfers, period, is that he has a loyalty to his players that have been there that he recruited, that went to a junior college, whatever, um, and that have been here one, two, three years on campus waiting for their chance, uh, who signed up to get their chance. And if you bring a guy in, imagine the conversation he had to have with Sandy Njai, who he really likes, and brought him and talked him into redshirting for a year and got him to play a little bit but knew that he wasn't ready. But imagine the conversation he has to have with Sandy Njai about D. Kerrigan. Damon? Diamond? Damon? Damon? That's what I thought. Okay. D. Kerrigan. You talked to him. <laughs> D. Kerrigan. But like, hey, we got a guy who blocks shots and dunks around the rim. Well, coach, that's what I'm supposed to do. I know. I know. But like, this guy is ready to go. Like, that's a tough conversation for, for Huggins. Like, it may be the right thing to do, but that's hard for him. So I think you're, you're seeing guys that he knows can come in and help, and they're not multi-year impediments in between the players that he, frankly, favors because he recruited him. He went into their living rooms and their high school gyms and said, come here. I got you covered. You know, if you'll be here as long as you want to be here. If it takes you two, three, four years, whatever. But I got you covered. And now he comes in and says, well, I got someone else to do your job for now. That's hard for him. I don't think he wants to make that permanent. So, yeah, get in. Get a guy who can help you. And then clear the way for that guy that you, again, you favor a year from now, maybe. He's still going to have a chance to play. The the Thweets and the Engies and the Kedrian Johnsons, they're going to have a chance to play. But it's a lot different when that guy is competing with you for one year as opposed to two or three. I get the idea is that maybe you think Huggins is lining it up for one big run, whether it's you know chips to the center of the table or this is my last year, whatever. I happen to be on the side where he just says, I'm not going to hamstring my players who I recruited. I promised I'd have these long relationships. I'm not going to handcuff them for many years. I'm going to do for one year. Also, it's the first time for him. He may not do this two years from now. Two years from now, he may get guys who have two, three, four years of eligibility. Who knows? And if this is if this is the new portal... If this is the new system, the way things are going this year, and quite frankly, there's no reason to think it's not going to be that that this. I mean, I think this is the way it's going to go from now on. Why why bother with guys that have three, four years eligibility when you can dip back into the portal and sample another group of one year players a year from now? I mean, you don't want to get into that kind of hamster wheel uh, way of thinking. You'll end up in some trouble if you try to do that. You'll end up having to find seven, eight kids in a class mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. But you have a team right now that is on the verge of being a legit Final Four type team. You need to, you know, you want to capitalize on that. You never want to think, well, oh, we got a couple more years of this because you don't know when it's going to stop. You don't know when it's just going to fall apart. So I think getting the one year guys is is good and and. It's all, it's kind of like what's available and what's going to fit. And that kind of ties into this next question of from WVUEP07 about what do you think of these basketball acquisitions with an added emphasis on trying to find another big? Um, this is what this team needed. Both of the guys added so far. It was like if you asked, and we discussed it during the year, the two biggest issues with this team were they do not have a rim protector at all. And they don't have a second guy that can re- you can really rely on. At least, you know, this is after the departure of McCabe. You kind of relied on him some during the season. But you don't have a second ball handler and somebody else that can kind of pest, uh, pester other teams on defense on the perimeter. And you got both of those. They, you know, two biggest needs, and Huggins went out and found them. And there they were. What, then, do you make of their pursuit of Polly Polycap? I cannot get over this guy's name. I hope this happens. Polly Polycat from DePaul. Yes. Uh, <laughs> again, he's another big man that blocks shots around the rim, rebounds, and you know, I guess we got to see what's going to happen with Derek Culver. Um, that was another question in here about a quote unquote another outlet reporting this, which was just God. Derek Culver posting on Instagram that he was in Los Angeles. Um, we'll see. I haven't heard specifically that he's gone. I think if they get two one-year big men, then you don't recruit one-year big men to sit on the bench. 
and you have two one year you bring in two one year big men and you bring back Gabe, that's kind of telling. But all these guys are taking remote classes right now. You don't have to be sitting in Morgantown if you don't have workouts and you don't have practice and you don't have to report anywhere. So I I mean I, I know where we've been leaning and we've been talking about it since the season ended. Uh, you know, we, we had that awkward conversation where I just flat out asked, what's Derek Colbert's future on this team? And we had a long conversation about it. You wrote a long story about it. It was kind of awkward, but I, I, it's, who knows? I, I think, I think the recruiting is telling and we'll see what happens. By the way, Derek Culver's allowed to have friends and family in California. No, he's not, Michael. No, he's, no, he's not. not. <laughs> he's not allowed to go see him either. No. <laughs> oh, do your homework. Sometimes you'll find these things out. He, um, it's possible. Uh, Polycap's interesting. Six eight two twenty five. Junior college, Manhattan Jaspers, DePaul. He would be their second guy who's been at four schools counting West Virginia if he comes along because Kerrigan was two junior colleges, FIU West Virginia, um, and I liked watching Kerrigan's highlights again. Um, I think I counted, well, I forget the numbers were, but he had 66 baskets, his stats say, and his highlight film showed 20 dunks. Pretty good ratio. Sure. Um, and then, again, lots of ball screens where he catches it either in the air or on the bounce when he's dashing towards the basket. Polycap's highlights are maybe more fun. Um, it's like a dominant kid sometimes, 6'8", 225, and was in his first year of Division One college basketball, the Mac player of the year on defense. Mm-hmm. So he's only gotten better in that regard. And again, this is like a 7.7 rebound guy who's going to hit 55% of his shots and block shots. Um, man, I'm now picturing a lineup where your perimeter is, I don't know, one, two, three guards. And then your four and five are like Polycap and Kerrigan. And then maybe Osaboyan and maybe Njai. Njai is a little bit different, but you're, you're switching around six, seven, six, eight guys who can probably get in defensive position on the perimeter. They may not be able to square up against threes or stretch fours a little bit, maybe stretch fours, but maybe they can't drive. I don't know. It looks like Polycap can move uh, more so than Kerrigan, but Kerrigan's athletic. So I'm not sure you can't teach him how to guard a three. Who's going to bounce it at him. But man, if they can switch and do a whole bunch of stuff, extend their defense with these guys who are long and can chase and block shots and erase mistakes that happen on the perimeter. I can get down with that. So I don't necessarily think that they sign Polycap, that that means anything about Culver. I don't think that's like an if-then scenario. If they sign him, then that means Culver's gone. I do think it speaks about what they're trying to do on defense and on the wings. I just think that it looks like he's the next best guy, and that they're going to try to take the best available guy for this last slot. Does he fill in a Matthews role? The size is similar. I think they're different players. Does he spell bridges? Don't think so. Again, very different players. I don't see him with a three-pointer in his career in college. Um, but... You can play different ways like you just can. And then even with the same roster, you can play different ways. It'll be kind of an experiment for Huggins to see how he he puts five on the floor and how they behave, how he does, you know, the hierarchy of minutes and all that based on his preferred style. I read somewhere that was a polycap that said that they want to get back to pressing. Mm-hmm. That's at least a conversation that they're having. So the next best guy, it might be him. If, the, if it's not him, I don't know. I haven't heard many other names beyond that that are realistic. But I think if he signs, remember, they have one spot. They can use it. I don't think it necessarily means anything. And I, because again, if they're going to sign somebody, you kind of think it might be somebody who gives you some offense or some, some punch in the perimeter because they have those three guys who are entertaining the draft right now. And you just don't know. You figure a better insurance policy would be somebody who can play the two or play a three that maybe could be a combo in the backcourt somehow. Paula Cap's not that, but he seems to be the guy they're hottest on. Uh, a New York guy, West Virginia and Rutgers. Can West Virginia say, hey, we, we used to be. Team New York um, that was outside of New York. That'll be an interesting conversation with him, but he does seem like he's engaged and very interested in playing for Huggins and in the Big 12. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Related to that question from Lighten, uh, signs are pointing to going back to Press Virginia. Thoughts? I mean, again, with rim protector, sure. Osaboyan compressed. I have no doubt about that. I was reading things about who could play the top of the perimeter position on defense that Holton and Adrian could play. I, am I crazy to think Osaboyan could do that? Yeah. I, I think crazy. no, you're not crazy. Yeah, I think they I think he can. That's fast. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he could do that. And again, then you could put Paula Cap and you can put um let's just stick with Kerrigan because he's here. You could put him underneath like on that baseline position in the press, you know, from from guys like Devin Williams, who I thought was an underrated defensive um backboard, so to speak. Wasn't a great shot blocker, but he was stout and, and he made you think about going up near him and he would grab the rebound too. Obviously, Kanate. They had good back end guys, and they would have that, especially if they get Paula Cap. So that it does make some sense. I, I just wonder about the guards. That's all. If you bring back McNeil, Sherman, McBride, some combination of those three, do you really have a great fleet of guards to do that? Don't know. Going to have to be a good offseason for those guys. And by the way, they'll be spending their offseason in gyms around the country instead of at West Virginia. Yeah, the, the the big reason Press Virginia was so successful was because they had guys like Javon Carter, Daxter Miles, Jason Page, like all pressing up on guys, and and those guys are very capable on ball defenders. But my thought here is that this the, these perimeter guys we've seen this this past season were not very good on ball defenders. Um, we have seen no evidence that they, they are they are good, but if you can go into this press, maybe chaotic but bad is better than not chaotic and bad. I mean, if they're going to be bad no matter what, I'd rather them be chaotic and cause issues because we're still talking about college teams here. You know, if you were playing in the pros and all five players on the other team could dribble and pass and not be worried about pressure, that's a problem. But most of these college teams that you're playing, they probably only have one or two ball handlers on their <clears throat> on the court at one time. Two, one or two guys that feel comfortable dribbling up against the press and breaking a press. So if you're already going to be letting guys get by you in half court, might as well start pressing them and try to get a few steals in there. Uh, I mean, that was and, – and, and then if they do get by you, you have those, those shot blockers behind you. So me personally – I'd say screw it and let's go press Virginia and, yes. and press up on them and, and get get chaotic because it we saw this this year it, it was bad I mean guys were just getting to the rim anytime they wanted and if they're going to get to the rim anytime you want take take the motto that you had uh, when you're running press Virginia because even those teams they were their field goal percentage allowed was actually pretty bad. Like it was pretty terrible because other opposing teams were getting to the rim when 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 they broke the press. Problem is they were turning it over twice as often as they normally would. So you were getting more possessions even though you're giving up a higher percentage of uh shooting percentage for the opposing team. So press it, cause chaos, force turnovers and, and go. And I think that that might be the answer on defense if because I just don't imagine these perimeter guys are you know, going to spin the offseason and all of a sudden become Javon Carter on defense. You could have the, like, the there's no tomorrow team. Just play like there's no tomorrow because, like, literally, you have, like, 10 guys who'd be gone the following year, right? Like, yeah. Let's say that everybody comes back. McNeil, Sherman, Culver, uh, maybe Paula Cap, Kerrigan, all gone, right, the next year. You'd be surprised if McBride came back. If he came Curry back, you'd, you'd be surprised. would be gone, too. He'd, Curry be gone, too. Uh, seven. <laughs> yeah. Like, like hey, just play hard. There's no tomorrow. This is our one year to do this. Let's go crazy and see if we can do it. Why not? Because again, if they're all coming back, who knows? But like that, I just think about that. What a, what a situation that is that you could lose seven, eight, nine guys through graduation and other, you know, attrition. Um, this time next season, our conversation would be very different than it is right now. You ready to switch to football? Do it. All right. 
Man, do we want, do we want, to, we want to jump right into this? Let's let's do it. I know this is your favorite. You warned zero me. Conversation. You warned me. Uh, from twenty one forty six year. Quote: My main problem with trusting the climb is that WVU has a few plays has been a few ways away from being in playoff contention before the climb started. Previous recruiting has been a fair excuse for even needing a climb, but 2021-22 is make or break, right? Six and six is serious hot seat talk, but what about seven and five? This, I, I do not want to answer this <laughs> because this is entirely subjective and it depends on how you treat the first season, especially and definitely the second season. Um, you, you have a coach who is either six and four right now or who's 11 and 11. Is that right? Yep. Seven and five and seven and then six and four. Okay. You also have a coach who is like either two games under 500 right now, or it doesn't count that year doesn't count. So he's actually two games above 500. It just depends. Like I, I, I've been on the record of this. I think that year zero thing is nonsense. And, and then relative to that, five and seven is probably not terrible when you look at how how they played in some of those games. Like I don't, I could be the same person. I can think that there is no year zero, but they actually did an okay job. Like that that does exist. But you you cannot be the guy who says that doesn't count. He's six and four, and then if he goes six and six this year, you can't be like, wait a minute, our coach is under 500 in three years. No, (laughs) it's not how it works. Like you can't, you got to make up your mind. So I think that's one reason why this preseason is kind of important. And maybe that's why expectations are tempered as I think they may be. And when the fall comes, there's going to be some narrative and some dialogue and then some control over that by different factions. I would guess try to figure out where this is. Um, You know, I, who knows where they're at. There's going to be players on this team that are not on campus right now that are going to help and probably change the picture. I just think it's a really big deal. I'm not, I, I believe in the year three rule when it comes to coaches that there should be progress forward to things. And I think it's at least on track to, to achieve that here. I don't think you can watch the first two seasons and say that they don't have a chance in their third season. I don't think that's accurate. I think they have the pieces to do it. Concerned about some things, think the defense could slip, but I think they have good coaches and have players who can do stuff to make it work. So even if the defense does slip, maybe it doesn't slip so much that they backslide into a sub 500 season. Also, the offense could be better. Um, I'm kind of, I'm at least mixing the Kool-Aid on Daigie. Not drinking it, but like stirring it a little bit. I could see it being a thing. I wrote something about it yesterday where it was kind of startling to me looking at these things about how little help he got around him on not just drops, but just contested catches, like fewer than 50%, um, how bad the offensive line was around him. And, you know, for example, pressure didn't do a whole lot to Daigie. His numbers for like big time throws and turnover worthy plays and even depth of target and yards per attempt were not that different when he was under pressure than when he was clean. But the game's just so much easier when you're clean. Um, and the quantity of snaps that he took under pressure, especially blitzes, was extreme. And if he has more time, then maybe he doesn't have to check it down and dump it off to short passes. Maybe he has a better. A chance at a vertical game. I think that those are achievements that are attainable for the offense. And then it's kind of like a sliding scale. If you do dip a little bit on defense, but you grow on offense, you kind of have that, that same overall grade. You can make it work too. But um, I just think things are lined up to continue to be better climb, if you will. And I think if it isn't, yeah, you have questions. Um, and I think you have to start thinking about that in the fall. They're not done getting ready for the fall yet. So I don't think it's fair. Um, I don't think a spring game should convince you of one thing or the other. But I think if they actually get some help on on offense or maybe back on defense, we can talk about how they're going to use their remaining scholarships or whatever. But um, then maybe you ship, you shape your, your thinking a little bit. But um, I think it's fair to say the third year matters because there's a lot going on and, and the recruiting has been good enough and there should be some guys in position. But there's also been some turnover, some roster turnover stuff, some recruiting class turnover stuff that – Gives you pause about how real that stuff actually is. And this is probably the time and the place you start to think about it that third season. I probably would have done like a 2000 word response to this if I had answered this in written form. So I'm glad we're discussing it here. But now I got to figure out how to uh, channel my thoughts and, and go down one path and then come back and go down another. So let's start with the expectations being sent, set by the program itself. Because we've discussed this a lot about how Neil Brown is a lot of things. And one of those things is he likes to control the message. He wants to get a certain message out at all times. 
He's not afraid to say certain things, do certain things, but he wants to control the message. And we saw this last year, uh, I guess it was a little over a year ago, or probably, definitely over a year ago, where they flat out said on the record multiple times that their 2021 recruiting class was going to be the best ever, 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 ever. And they were steadfast about it. And guess what? It was. According to the rankings, it was the best class ever. And really not even close. Uh, we'll see if it pans out that way. But, you know, that shows that they're not afraid to be like, no, 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 no. We're good. And we're going to be good. But they're not doing that with with the product on the field this year, which makes me wonder just what you were commenting on earlier. Are, are they tempering expectations for a reason? And what is that reason? And or maybe, you know, because it, it, if you say we're going to be OK and then you go eight and four, people be happy. If you say we're going to be great and you go eight and four, people are going to say, OK, sure. So I think there is a little bit of a controlling the message part here, which makes me wonder about just, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's not that it changes my perspective of what I think this team could be this fall, but I think it is trying to kind of change the perspective of the fans and and maybe those in charge so that if the team doesn't go nine and three or 10 and two or something, um, you, you know, it's not that big of a, a drop off. Do you think there's anything to, to that? Or do you think I'm tinfoil yeah, hatting here? I think who you beat matters too. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they start one and two and they only beat Long Island and they finish up with eight or nine wins, it's probably going to be a pretty good season, right? Yeah. If they start three and zero, oh, and then they go, you know, five and four, I don't think people are going to be happy with that. So I think, I think it does matter a little bit. I mean, if you get Oklahoma finally, that probably rights some wrongs that may otherwise happen during the season. Um, if they become like a really good offensive team, I think that forgives some things. They go eight and four, but they have a top twenty-five offense. People are be pretty happy, I think, about the future because they fixed that part of it. And the defense had been good, so you can probably put the two together a year from now, and that would be good. So that's why these conversations are tricky. Like speaking in definitives in April, or even you know May, June, July is tough, but it's a complicated conversation. And again, I don't, I don't think fans are wrong to want and to expect certain things too. It has to be reasonable. I don't think anybody's saying that they should go you know, 15 and 0, but um, what is reasonable? I think you're right. Some of that is painted within the inside there. And then there comes a point where you have to be able to paint that picture. And I think that they're probably pretty close to being able to say, this is what you should expect. Maybe not number of wins, but the quality of product in the field. Um, let me ask you this. Do you think they add a piece on offense? And why isn't it an offensive lineman? Cause I think that adding an offensive lineman makes sense if it's a slam dunk, but I think there's a way to be good on the offensive line this year without adding anybody to it. And if you add, you're probably losing. I think there's a rule about maybe like if you add one, you may lose two. And that, yeah. that's concerning because they added one who's pretty good in Nestor, but now you might lose two. And they, they do have good they have good assets on the offensive line right now. I agree with the add one, you lose two thing. So you really have to think about that because it is a very real possibility that, yes, adding Nestor, uh, who has three years of eligibility remaining, will – it, it, it is going to shore up your offensive line because, again, you bring him in and then you can slide somebody else here and down and down and down, and it shores up the entire offensive line. But now you're going to have at least one, maybe two younger players or even like sophomores or juniors that were going to compete for that spot, whether that be right guard or right tackle. Uh, right now it seems like right guard that are going to be like, all right, well, they brought this guy in and now he's a starter for the next three years. So see ya. And that's concerning. Uh, I don't know if I'd bring in an offensive line because uh, I think the biggest, I think bringing in Nestor kind of solves a lot of those problems. Bringing in Nestor and hopefully having a fully healthy and recovered James committer uh, would, would help solve a lot of those problems. Um, I mean, you get you, you get Nestor in, a healthy committer, Frazier's back to center, and another year for Yates, who was okay, but he was also just a redshirt freshman last year. So if, if he can improve from okay to above okay, you know, I'm not asking him to be great, but all of a sudden that offensive line is looking pretty good, pretty good. Not, not great, but pretty good. And so the biggest concern would be, again, wide receiver, and that's probably the biggest 
frustration. I wonder if it's the biggest frustration for the coaches. I think it's the biggest frustration for the fans. Uh, it's the biggest frustration for me personally because these guys are talented. They are really talented, and they just don't seem to be putting it together in games. And Neil Brown's talked about that, about how the drops last year, they weren't happening in practice. They weren't dropping them in practice. They just got to the games and it happened. So I think if, and we said this back in December, if there was a slam dunk, no doubt, you know, alpha dog receiver that ended up in the portal, I would call him right away. Be like, do you want to come be the number one receiver here right now? Just walk onto campus and be the number one receiver. Come on. That is where I would target on offense. There's talent in the portal at receiver. Yeah. Now, can they get it? I don't know. We'll see. But I'm watching like mock drafts in the NFL. Not that I want to or need to or like to, but like I think it's fun to see like people that you watch in college and how can they go. And I'm seeing a lot of uh, Jalen Waddle stuff going up and up and up the board. And it's because like he's that he's like the closest. It's a terrible comparison, but like everybody's copying the Chiefs right now. And he's like that Tyreek Hill. How the heck do you guard that guy? Yeah. And this team doesn't have that. Like maybe Wright would be the the closest thing to it. Um, good player. Good player. Don't get me wrong there. You could do stuff with him. But I just think you could go in and you can find an exceptional talent that it, does he run like a, a 4-3? Can he break a bunch of tackles? You know, I'm not looking for someone who's 6-3 or maybe even has a bunch of yardage or touchdowns. But is there somebody that you can game plan around that's just a, a headache for people? Um I'm trying to think of like the guy who just went to Missouri. Um, uh, what's his name uh, from Ohio State? Mookie Cooper. Yeah, fast guy, shifty guy, and like couldn't get it done at Ohio State, but he goes to Missouri, which is going to be like a fun offense with the way they play. And that's a guy that looks like he's going to probably be a pretty good player because he's just different and shifty. And that makes you think about Washington too, like Washington moving from receiver to linebacker. I think if you look at his vitals, you said that's a pretty good looking linebacker. Is he a pretty good looking receiver for West Virginia? 6'2", 225? I don't know. And I'm looking at like Prather. He's 6'4", 200. And some of these guys that are like closer to the 6 foot, you know, 190 range. Playmakers, ball in the air guys think that that speed run under it, catch it and go. And if you can find that in the portal, which I think you can, that probably adds something to this offense. Maybe contested catches aren't what they're good at. Um, and that's why they weren't good at it last year. But maybe guys who can do something when they get the ball. An easy way to score a touchdown is a run away from everybody, right? And if they can find a way to do that, that'd be an excellent addition, I think. He Neil Brown said the other day that they were still looking in the portal. Um, and he really only mentioned defense. Or the question that was asked to him mentioned defense. And he said, you know, that was an accurate accurate statement. Was Was cornerback and linebacker. I, I'm trying to think of where else they would go because they, remember, there was talk of them and one of the first and a few of the first guys that they offered once the season ended and transfer stuff started were defensive linemen, defensive linemen, defensive linemen, defensive linemen. There was like six kids that claimed an offer uh, in the transfer portal as defensive linemen from West Virginia. They didn't get any of them, and I haven't heard any talk about look recruiting a defensive lineman again. Do you think that that's short up enough that? Or they've seen things in the spring, like Mesador's move is they feel good enough about. Jefferson, as more of a true nose, might be good enough. What, what's your thoughts there? I think a nose is going to be extremely limited in what the, what way they're going to play. Like, he might be a goal line guy, or maybe he goes up against, like, an Oklahoma or a Texas. But otherwise, we probably missed on this. Like, I think we were talking about, hey, can you go get, like, a 310-pound nose? I don't think there's a place for that guy, so I don't think there's a need for him. There might be a place, but, like on third and one or on second goal. Um, I wonder about Jefferson. Who knows? It looks like he's done some work to his body. Not about 15 pounds from last year. So maybe he can play tackle in a traditional sense. Um, it just sounds like they're not really worried about like a, they never really played zero technique anyways, but like it was always shaded or like a, you know, one technique at two high or something like that with Sills last year. Um, still sorry. But I don't think that there's going to be like a, a guy who's, lined up in the middle like in the old defense and just tries to whip the center. I think it's going to be probably a guy who's like a Dante Stills or an Akeem Mesador who can give the center of the guard center problems. Um, I just, I think I was probably wrong on that in my preseason expectations about let's get a big nose who can eat up the gaps and give the center trouble. I just don't think they want to go out and do that. And then can you find someone better at the tackling end position right now? I'm not sure they can or want to do that. 
Well, we know they're going to go quarterback. They've been pretty open about that. I, I think I don't want to put words in his mouth because I don't have it in front of me, but I, I believe it was he said, Neil Brown said, you know, there's going to be a guy. They're going to bring in a guy. Period. Help was on the way. <laughs> Help was on the way. That was what he said. Like, it's, it's, it doesn't, it, it didn't sound like he was saying anything negative about Jackie Matthews or Derek Porter Jr. or whoever else is battling for that starting spot at the other corner position, but um, he made it very clear that they were going to bring in somebody that, that could play right away at cornerback. So we'll have to see who that is and, and when that's going to happen. Dixon's a Mike, right? Lance Dixon? Because uh, what maybe. do you do with Will? Huh? Because then is he the Will? Is he the Mike? I don't know where you go with him. If, if you're looking for him to to play right away, you know maybe you put him at will. Uh, I think uh, that's tough. We, we keep talking about putting guys at will, but it, I mean there there's nothing at will right now. <laughs> like right. like you said, the biggest story of the spring was a third string wide receiver moving over to be a third string will linebacker because all the will linebackers were hurt. Like that's that's the story of the spring right now. I mean, low and, is their, their ideal there, I guess. But I, I also wonder if they want him playing stretched out starter snaps. They seem to like Josh Chandler, Samito, and Mike. Yeah. Which means he's probably a better physical fit there than a Will, which I agree with, especially when you look at like the pass coverage stuff that they asked the Will to do. The Will plays outside the box a lot in this defense. So can Dixon do that? And do you want to, if Dixon's a Mike and physically he may be, are you moving, are you moving? Chandler Samito back outside the will, or are you just splitting snaps of those two? I, I'm very curious to see how that goes. That's a guy you get because he's got talent and he's got time, but I wonder what the immediate role for him is. Could be anything right now. So I, I just pulled up <clears throat> pro football focus while we were talking. Um, 155 of his 191 snaps at in the box as an oh, yeah. inside linebacker. So I, I, I mean, maybe that's the answer to your question right there. I, I guess that's, that's where he's going to be. It, Looks like he has a handful of snaps, is like with his hand in the dirt. Had a couple, couple at the slot corner. Don't know if he's going to be doing that at West Virginia, but um, you know that he, would be like your will responsibilities there, right? Because they did that with Low a lot. They could flex him out to do some things in pass defense that maybe they couldn't do with Chandler Samito. Um, I want to say it was it was Texas Tech last year. Yeah, because that's when Fields got ejected, right? Right. Um, I believe Low played and was because of their their offense. Texas Tech's, he was flexed out quite a bit in that game and did okay. Um, but, but like, that's kind of what they want that will to be now, I think. And again, they're going to have to do some weird stuff with Will because of Spear. They don't really have a, um, they don't have a Tyke Smith right now who can just do a bunch of different stuff. So I think you're probably going to see one help the other a little bit. Yeah. I, it, it's weird because I think linebacker was my biggest concern last year, after, with, especially with the departure of Tony Fields. And I kind of feel okay with it because I right now, I mean, the depth is a little concerning. Lack of depth is a little concerning. But Chandler Samito seems like a, a natural for the mic. Extra low has not been a full-time starter, kind of, you know, getting 70 snaps a game. But when he's been in, he's been pretty darn good. Um, so him at will, you, you know, I if you say extra low is your starter, if, if my starting three linebackers are Chandler Samito, Low, and then Vandarius Callen. I'm okay with that. I don't okay. think it's a, a a a real weakness for this defense. Do I think it's the strength? No, but I'm okay with it. That would answer Magilla 75's question. If I can step in here, those are your three linebackers. Um, I'll see on Will. I just have questions about Low. That's all. But I think he could do it. I wonder if they want him to do it. Like he he was good at what he did, and also a very viable special teams player. Um, I think there's a, a soft spot or a sweet spot for a number of snaps you want him playing during the game. And are you going to do a lot of them with him playing defense? Maybe. We'll see. Starting defense, defensive line, this is easy to me. It's Pooler, Mesador, Dante Stills. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was his I question. So. Starting DLs yeah. and linebackers come game yeah. one in the fall. That would be my picks. I think you got me thinking about it. But, yeah, I, I, it just – the Mesador thing, we discussed that at length, and you hopped in there too on the on – the, um, his move kind of more towards the interior. I think, I think I referred to it as a dice roll. I don't Maybe that's a bad term. I just think if you can make that work, if he is still 80% as productive, because again, guys can be really good when they play a limited number of snaps 
And then if you ask them to play all the snaps, they're just not going to be as good. That's usually how it works. But if he can be 80% as good after gaining 15, 20 pounds, changing his position a little bit and playing more, mm. that's a huge win for West Virginia. But that's also asking a lot because that, that is a lot. I mean, he's, he's changed his body. He's changed his position. He's changed. He's going to be changing, you know, how he attacks offenses and what he does in a game. So for him to be as productive as he was as a freshman would be asking a lot. Correct. I feel like Sean Martin's a piece of this, too. If he's ready, he he probably helps you out a little bit. He's got size. He can do that. And again, if your tackle is bigger, you're at left tackle, you mean? Oh, my bad. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, I just feel like if, you're, if your tackle is big like he is outside, then you, you can get away with some size inside. And I think uh, we'll see here. I've heard it once or twice, and there's no point in pursuing it because you're not going to get an answer. But if they play a bandit that is like a Torres Simmons or a Linnell Carr, that's actually a defensive end, that changes things a little bit. I'm not saying that they got to be attached to the line with their hand in the dirt, but they move two bandits to defensive end. If they can do a little of each, like they can still play bandit, but play defensive end. You can get into like even fronts or whatever. And that, that just changes things for that. Those two tackles inside the end and the bandit. Uh, I'm curious. It's again, it's a question I have. I could ask, I'm not going to get a great answer about it. They may not even have an answer. I think it's probably being looked at and talked about and they've done even front stuff on the back. But if they go even front by kind of flexing that bandit down and playing him as a defensive end, and they've moved Carr and they've moved Simmons to defensive end, I think Carr was more of a defensive end than a, than a bandit last year, and Simmons was definitely a bandit. But you've got two like defensive end bodies who could do a little bit of each, and they're different than Bartlett. They're different than Cowan, even though Cowan's a pretty big dude. But I, I that that is another wrinkle there, and it may make things easier. It just changes it changes the alignments up there if you're doing that. Uh, the blocking and all the protection stuff too. I think there's ways to make it work that we're just not aware of or we haven't seen or witnessed or experienced yet. And that's something to keep an eye on. I think what do they do with the bandit or a fourth defensive lineman, the second defensive end, however you want to call it to, um to shake things up and to, maybe to help out those inside guys. Cause it's, it's a question that we have, but again, if you look at the the stats, like the, the, the height and the weight, man, Darius stills and Dante stills aren't much different. Dante is probably a, a, a quote unquote bigger guy. And then Mesidor's, size and weight are, are extremely comparable too. So maybe it's not that big of a worry. Yep. Well, uh, let's see. I think that's about it for today. I mean, again, what have we gone over an hour again? Of course we've hit an hour. Uh, so I think we'll probably wrap it up now, unless there's something specific that you wanted to talk about. Otherwise I will answer all the rest of these in written format. And we'll have them up later today, Tuesday, um, answering the rest of your questions. Big stuff coming. There might be recruiting news. I don't know. Who knows of those kids? Uh, I have a pretty cool story about what's going on with kids visiting campus that I told you a little bit about, Chris, and we both love it because we like cheating. This is not <laughs> cheating. It's not, but I extremely, extremely um, endorse this because it's a good way to get around, not around rules, to work within the rules, but that's something that West Virginia is doing permissibly. Again, this is not cheating. It just fascinates me a little bit. Um, and then some, I think some good signs from running back position and evaluations and a little bit of the the linebacker play too, especially what we just talked about because uh, Chad Scott and Jeff Coons spoke to us the second time that Jeff Coons has been allowed to talk to the media since he's been here. First time for Chad Scott since I don't think we even talked to him last year before the pandemic, so a long time for him. So again, good to listen to some assistant coaches. And man, if you got a football fix that you need, just watch Jeff Coons in his office on Zoom getting down about uh special teams and defense that was that was kind of fun for me yesterday right is that the last time he's going to be allowed to talk to the media for a while oh. you think he's <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think he might be getting zapped when he's up there talking about uh terms that they use and schemes and all that stuff because uh, you know usually you just get the generic coach speak and they don't want to talk about that but he was getting into great detail and really getting into it so Sad last time we get to talk to to Coach Coons. Oh, we hardly knew him. Uh, <laughs> he had laryngitis. That's what we're really going to say. Oh, he can't talk anymore. His voice is too hoarse because he was yeah. losing his voice. He got very excited talking about stuff yesterday. It was fun to see. Uh, so that's just a sneak preview for me. Chris, what's up your sleeve here? Uh, we've got a few new offers going out uh, in recruiting circles. Again, West Virginia working this, uh, uh, this northeastern recruiting pipeline. I want to call it a pipeline, I guess, but sampling up there. Uh, 
testing it out with a couple uh, prep school kids in that area, trying to bring in some more guys like they already have in this class. Uh, I just put up a story this morning on, you know, I, I've talked a lot about teal chip recruits and what West Virginia is doing there and how it's improved so much. And, you know, it's all relative. If, if you jump your teal chip ratio, you know, the number of recruits you get that rate 85 or above on the star Randy scale, but it's still lower than everybody else in the conference. Does it really matter? Um, mm. Good news is West Virginia's not even close to the lowest in the conference. You're third, third behind wow. Oklahoma and Texas, of course. But um, some interesting numbers there to kind of look at. And, and you look at that, that list of those percentages of teal chip recruits for, for this year's roster. And it kind of looks like maybe how you would vote your big 12 preseason standings. So something to keep an eye on, something to read. Again, we'll have more updates. Uh, I think, do we get coaches, we get coaches later in the week. I don't think we get them Wednesday, Correct. Um, but later in the week and uh, yeah, we'll have some recruiting buzz and different things coming up with, with recruiting stuff. Uh, Chris, we are not going to say when they have open practice anymore because apparently <laughs> we're doing the work for the university there. That's all part of the story I have in my sleeve. Can I hit you one one question on your Northeast connection here? Go for uh, it. Brown sneaky touts his Delaware-UMass connections. Like his time mm-hmm. up in that part of the country I think means a lot to him because I think he thinks it's kind of untapped. Um, West Virginia is obviously going to be a lot of Pennsylvania, um, Ohio, you know, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area they want to get into, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and then obviously South Florida, the, the, the common connections. He's really big into what he knows about the Northeast because of UMass and Delaware. Are you speaking about that, or are you kind of touting your, I think, clever prep school connections here? <laughs> well, the, the new offers that are going out, even as we are talking on this podcast, are in Delaware, um, including a teammate of a certain – top quarterback target that mm. is releasing his top schools later this week. Uh, always good to recruit the buddies, you know, outside of recruiting mom, the next best thing is to recruit teammates. So uh, teammates and siblings. So yeah, some of this is uh, Delaware. Uh, one of the offers I talked to earlier was in Massachusetts, but yeah, the latest offers in Delaware, I am not even going to attempt to say his name because I will screw it up. I'd like to make sure I know how to say it before I try to say it. But teammates with quarterback Braden Davis out of Middleton, Delaware. Um, we'll see where that goes and what he has to say. You're not going to talk about the prep schools, are you? No. Proprietary. <laughs> I like it. It's a good angle. I like it. If you can work it, work it. It kind of reminds me of junior colleges, too. I've talked to people who recruit junior colleges or who are familiar with junior colleges. More lately in basketball than football, but they're stunned by what effect the transfer portal has had on junior college recruiting. Because everybody's assuming they're going to get their their guy who's ready to come in and play right away, except he's not going to have that transition from junior college to major college. And there are a lot of really good junior college players who went unrecruited or under-recruited. And they said, watch out for some of these players who did not go to, you know, power five for football or equivalent of power five in basketball. They would have in ordinary years, but those spots went to guys that were reserved or spots went were reserved for people who were, immediately eligible transfers in this transfer portal craze. So you might see some teams that are better than expected or players who are of the, the heck is he doing on that team and or in that league ilk, just because the the junior college recruiting went so sideways this year too. So, um, and oddly enough, West Virginia doesn't have a junior college recruit for football last year and not on track to have one this year. Correct. Correct. And then basketball is kind of a catch all for Huggins. He can do it some years. He, he doesn't, there's not really a pattern there, but he likes him. So, um, Man, it'd be a time to do it. If you can find, I mean, maybe they're going to find their cornerback. Maybe they'll find that that wing for football or basketball here in the junior college ranks that's available. Um, and I'm done talking. I've probably gone on long enough. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Once again, gone too long. We'll do that again, I'm sure, next time. Until then, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.